The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Red arrows on Wall Street as stocks look to close out the month on a sour note. Talk about a bad taste. Shares of Amazon are sinking after its latest earnings report. Loop Ventures' Gene Munster is here to weigh in. With Delta on the rise, President Biden laying out new guidelines for federal workers in an effort to stem the spread. Disney firing back at Black Widow star Scarlett Johansson over her lawsuit claiming the company is in breach of contract for the latest Marvel blockbuster film. And Robin Hood licking its wounds after a less than stellar public market trading debut. It's Friday, July 30th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan on this Friday, kicking off your morning with U.S. futures looking like they are going in the red. Right now, the Dow is implied opening just about 87 points to the downside. The S&P would be implied lower by roughly 28 points and the Nasdaq lower by a whopping 167. Now, the Dow and the S&P, to be fair, are coming off fresh intraday all time highs. All three major indexes are looking to close out the month with some gains. Now, around the world, another rough session in Asia as Hong Kong sinks more than 2 percent on continued weakness in big technology companies over in that market. We're talking Alibaba, Tencent, Metwan, all down sharply after a volatile week of trading, as you can see there. But your stock of the morning has to be Amazon, sinking in the pre-market after posting its first revenue miss in three years. The biggest problem for the Amazon overall trade in the past three months, online store sales hitting just $53.1 billion compared with estimates calling for $57.2 billion. It's another major segment still firing on all cylinders, but we'll have much more on that Amazon trade throughout the course of the morning. Those shares off by 6% and a big driving force behind why the Nasdaq looks to underperform at the opening bell. But first, we have breaking news out of the European Union. And for that, we head over to our own Juliana Tattlebaum, standing by in our London newsroom, Good Friday morning, Juliana. Good morning to you, Dom. So just crossing the wires now are some fresh numbers out of the Eurozone. This is the preliminary flash Q2 GDP estimate, and it's come in at 2%. So 2% growth quarter on quarter. Consensus was 1.5%, so actually much stronger than the market had been expecting. 13.7% year-on-year versus consensus of 13.2%. So stronger than forecast on both a quarterly and yearly basis. Earlier this morning, we got a little bit of country-level insight 
Germany returning to growth in the quarter, but missing expectations. So it wasn't Germany that surprised to the upside. Spain's economy grew faster than expected. But one of the key issues that was plaguing uh, Euro, the euro area's largest economy, Germany, it, are these shortages of various materials. And that's held back growth there. But overall, the eurozone growing 2% quarter on quarter, according to these flash estimates. I want to just take you to European equities and see how markets are trading on the final day of trade this week. Earnings continue to be a big focus for investors here in Europe today. We are trading lower this morning. The stock 600 down 0.5 percent. But this comes after the main benchmark hit an all-time high yesterday, advancing by about the same amount. So we are trading on the back foot, but it has been a strong run for the European market. A couple of stocks in focus this morning to highlight for you. Unicredit has posted a second quarter net profit t- topping 1 billion euros after the Italian lender was able to almost have its loan write downs. The bank CET1 ratio stands at 15.5%. Renault in the auto space is also in focus this morning. The company expects to be in the black in 2021 after posting 354 million euros in net profit due to rising car sales in the first half of the year. But Renault shares trading lower this morning by about 1.2%. Dom, back over to you. All right, weakness in the European trade there. Thank you very much, Juliana Tettelbaum. To COVID-19 concerns, new concerns this morning over the Delta variant from top officials at the CDC. Bertha Coombs is here with that and some of your other top morning stories. Bertha, good Friday morning. Hey, good Friday morning to you, Dom. The Delta variant of the coronavirus reportedly appears to cause more severe illness than earlier variants of the virus and spreads as easily as, quote, the chickenpox. This according to internal CDC documents reviewed by the Washington Post. From the report, vaccinated individuals infected with Delta may be able to transmit the virus as easily as those who are unvaccinated. The report also notes a higher risk of hospitalization and death among older people, regardless of vaccination status. NBC News has reached out to the CDC for comment. To Disney now, the company firing back at Scarlett Johansson, saying there is, quote, no merit to her lawsuit, alleging the movie studio had breached its contract with her when it offered the film Black Widow on streaming at the same time it played in theaters. In a statement, Disney says, quote, there's no merit whatsoever to this filing, adding Disney had fully complied with the actor's contract. Johansson's lawsuit said the dual release strategy for Black Widow in early July reduced her compensation, which was based partly on box office receipts from what was supposed to be an exclusive run in theaters. And Procter & Gamble says its current chief operating officer, John Muller, will become its new CEO this November. He will replace David Taylor, who will be named executive chairman. For Canal University graduate, Muller has worked on the consumer goods giant, or rather worked there since 1988 when he was hired as a cost analyst for P&G's food products division. David Taylor has been CEO since 2015 and has been marred by a proxy battle with activist investor Nelson Peltz, one which Taylor emerged victorious from but still lost a board seat to Peltz after Peltz had won a large percentage of shareholder votes. Wow. He was at that's been a P&G since 1988, his entire career. That's amazing, isn't it? it it's, it's, a, it's a generational thing. I mean, I remember my father worked for decades at the same company. But these days, there's a lot more portability. Arguably, that's good for workers, though, by the way, to, to have that portability all around. right? Well, I, I've been here 
It'll be 19 years in November, so I, I can't believe time has just flown. Well, Bertha, you wouldn't know it by looking at you. <laughs> Have a great morning. We'll see you later on, Bertha. Well, President Biden is now laying out new strict guidelines for federal workers as the Delta variant continues to wreak havoc on the unvaccinated. NBC's Tracy Potts joins us now with the latest there. Good morning, Tracy. Hey, Dom, two things. The president is telling states, use your COVID money to pay people to get the shot. $100 he's suggesting uh, as an incentive to get those shots in arms. He has also now laid out the plan for federal workers and contractors. So we're talking as many as 10 million people that they would have to attest that they have had the vaccine or they can't travel for work. They'd have to social distance and wear masks and test up to twice a week. Then overnight, the military released a statement saying they're doing the same and looking into whether to require the vaccine, not just recommending, uh, not just attesting that you've had it, but actually require the vaccine for active duty members. More on that coming up as they consult with the White House. Meantime, we are seeing protests around the country, uh, including from healthcare workers, one in four who have not had the shot. The Justice Department saying that the mandates for vaccines are legal. We've also seen that affirmed in a federal court. And new Pfizer is now saying that its vaccine's efficacy tends to wane a bit after six months, suggesting a booster. But the CDC and the FDA, Dom, have not yet said that a booster is necessary. Still looking at that data. So, so Tracy, I mean, you talked about the legality and, and, and how it stood up in court there. But is there a sense for how much pushback there could be at the government level, at the federal level, if you are going to tell people you're going to require them to get this vaccine? Has there ever been a time when the government really needs to kind of go through this in, in a messaging standpoint with, with people more so than right now? Well, you know, Bertha was just talking about that Washington Post report of the internal CDC memo. It addresses the messaging, that the messaging now needs to, to change and be upgraded to try to get more people voluntarily uh, to get these shots. So that's one thing. In terms of the requirement, you know, they, they watered it down a bit. So this is not a hard requirement for federal workers. There is an option if you don't want to get the shot. Um, but there are disincentives to do so. You can't travel, depending on your job. That may be uh, significant to the work that you do. And you'd have the hassle, as some people say, of getting tested up to twice a week. So they're trying not to mandate it, but give enough disincentives uh, and incentives. That $100 that President Biden has been talking about that states should use their COVID money for to try to encourage people to do so. But the legalities, as you note, the Justice Department has said that it's legal to mandate uh, the vaccine. And we're starting to see a lot of private employers doing that. And we've seen that upheld by a federal court. All right. Tracy Potts with the latest there on the vaccination front. Thank you very much. Let's get back to the markets now. Futures right now indicating a lower open after yesterday's disappointing Amazon earnings report and threatens to dampen an otherwise strong month ahead of July's final day of trading today. Joining me now is Gibbs Wealth Management Chief Investment Officer Aaron Gibbs. Aaron, I mean, it's pretty evident right now. Yes, the Dow is down marginally implied at the open, the S&P down as well. But it's Amazon really weighing the most right now, right, sentiment-wise, on the NASDAQ trade overall. Right, absolutely. I mean, Amazon really always has to beat not just two numbers, but six numbers, right? Because we're always looking at those three major businesses. And if you don't uh, nail it on all six fronts, the top and bottom line of your three major business units 
you're going to get hurt because Amazon really is priced for perfection and priced for top growth. So if that's the case, does that then indicate perhaps that the road ahead is going to be tougher for the entire market trade overall? The fact that this idea that Amazon is perhaps going to mark this notion that we're at peak, uh, at least near term, for the results that we're going to get, the comps seem to be tougher ahead. Well, I think Amazon and, and some of the big mega cap technology companies, we've already seen that um, even if you you know beat your top and bottom line of your of your major business units, but there's uh, you know a margin that came down or something, really people are looking for any like reason to push these stocks down. Um, and I really think that comes back to what are the type of estimates that we're looking at that these companies need to beat. Uh, and right now, even companies that beat top and bottom line and uh, beat across the board, even on different business units, they're still getting hit pretty hard, particularly those mega caps. Uh, and we're looking at a quarter now where 90% of all companies that have reported for the S&P 500 have beat their EPS earnings. And that is an absolute new record. We've never seen anything like that. Admittedly, we're only halfway through. Um, but even out of the past four quarters, we've had four quarters where we've had beat rates um, over 80%, average 83, um, which is about a, a 10% increase from versus the prior 10 years. So I think really it's not just about beating estimates. It's about having a surprise that is much higher and much greater um, across the board, including guidance and different business units and so on. I mean, it, it seems like you're right. Right. Because we've have a, we have a market right now that hit record highs in just yesterday's trade in its session. You mentioned this 90 percent beat rate halfway through earnings season. It appears as though the market narrative is justifying what's happening with the earnings reporting season and vice versa. So what exactly then takes down this market if everything is going on all cylinders? Uh, so I think the one thing that we might uh, see for for taking down the market uh, would be uh, really valuations getting extremely too high. And when you you take a look at uh, these new valuations of the S&P 500, we're looking at about 22 times forward earnings. That seems insane. We've never seen uh, those kind of numbers before when you're looking at forward earnings, which means uh, your, your, your forward valuations, which means against your, your earnings estimates. But considering that everybody is putting in these really no, low numbers and companies are beating them right, left and center, almost by 100%, um, that says that actually, when we look at forward valuations, we probably should make that E in your PDE a little higher because analysts are putting in such low numbers. Uh, and so we could have the market go higher even though we are trading at 22 times versus a previous high of about 19. So in the prior years, normally 19 was your absolute peak and 18 was your high top of the range. Um, but if you look at just how much okay. lower these estimates have become, you could see that there it should be a 17% premium going on right now. All right. So valuations are certainly a concern. Aaron Gibbs, thank you very much. We appreciate it. When we come back on the show, Robinhood CEO Vlad Tenev standing by his company and stock price. Despite yesterday's lackluster public market debut, 
Plus, another case of costs out of control has this stock sinking in the pre-market. We will reveal that mystery chart. And from bad to worse, shares of Pinterest sinking ahead of the opening bell. That stock now on pace for its worst month since 2019. Find out why coming up next when World Market Insurance returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers, three stock stories of the morning. First up, Robinhood. It's up fractionally after closing down more than 8% in the company's debut yesterday. Robinhood priced its IPO at 38 bucks a share. There have now been seven IPOs this year that have raised $2 billion or more in capital, and all of them have ended their first day underwater. Speaking with Jim Cramer last night on Mad Money, Robinhood CEO and co-founder Vlad Tenev sought to ease worries about the first day decline in shares, saying he used to be he's used to being doubted. We're building a long term business, so you have to ignore these short term fluctuations. Some days markets are up, some days markets are down, some days the stock is up, some days the stock is down. Look back on what the, the company has been able to do over the past six years. We've delivered a lot, of, a lot of great products, a lot of value to customers, and a lot of value to shareholders. All right, up next, Texas Roadhouse, the restaurant chain reporting better than expected second quarter results, but shares are falling after the company warns it expects even higher food costs this year, those shares down by roughly 5% of the pre-market trade. And finally, Pinterest, second quarter earnings beat forecasts as revenues more than doubled, but shares are dropping as the company reported a drop in U.S. users, saying people are spending less time at home. It's also not providing third quarter guidance, citing continued uncertainty about the COVID pandemic. Pinterest is on track for its worst month since 2019. Those shares are down 18 percent in the pre-market trade. Well, still on deck for the show, Robinhood may have had a rocky start in its trading debut, but it got a big vote of confidence from one closely followed name on Wall Street. We dig into that story when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. 
Welcome back. Sonic Automotive is the country's fourth largest auto retailer. The company reporting record revenues, profits and earnings for its second quarter. Profits, by the way, for used cars up 63 percent compared to last year and was even up compared to 2019 levels. This comes as the market for used cars has grown red hot in recent months with prices for used vehicles going for thousands more right now than they have in the past. Let's now bring in Jeff Dyke, president of Sonic Automotive. Jeff, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Can you tell us whether or not there's any end in sight to the surge in used car prices? Yeah, sure there is, uh, Dominic. The new car uh, inventories are going to get better progressively over the next few months as we get to the end of the year. And as that happens, it's going to alleviate the amount of inventory uh, issues that the pre-owned side is happening. Is hap- it's happening on the pre-owned side. And with that, uh, prices will begin to come down. You already see prices moving uh, from the beginning of July. If you bought a car then, same car a month later is down about $2,000 a car. That's going to continue to alleviate as we move towards the end of the year. So, so can you take us through the dynamic right now between the used car and the new car markets? You know, we've, hear, we've heard anecdotes right now that in, in many cases, used car prices are in some, in some ways more expensive than new car prices. It's a dynamic that cannot last. We've also heard stories about dealerships offering huge incentives for you to trade in your car to get a new one. If there is a supply constraint for new cars, how is it that people can still get new cars by trading in their used ones? Well, they can't, and that, that's the issue. And so that's what's pushing the price up on, on pre-owned inventory. But what's going to happen here is we're down at Sonic Automotive. We've got about an eight- to nine-day supply of new cars on the ground right now. Um, if you take our BMW brand that we have 15 stores with, by the time we get to October and November, we'll have a 25- to 30-day supply. That's going to start regenerating pre-owned inventory uh, for all the dealers, and then that will help alleviate the pricing. So it is an odd situation in my 25-year career. Uh, we've never seen this before where you have an inversion like this where wholesale prices are really higher than retail prices. Um, but all of that's coming to an end. Uh, relief is on the way. And uh, the business should be really good between now and the end of the year. The inventories are repopulating. Prices will come down. They'll settle, as I said, uh, from, from the beginning of June, uh, beginning of July to now. They're already coming down. Uh, and you'll see more of that as we get towards the end of the year. Jeff, are, are, are customers who need to buy a vehicle right now at the mercy of whatever inventory is? In, in other words, it used to be like I went to a, a, a car dealership and I looked for a specific kind of car. Do you, do you get the sense that people still have a choice in what they buy or are they buying just what they can? Well, certainly the choices are limited. They are. With the kind of day supplies that we have out there across all the brands, uh, the choices are certainly limited. And if you have to have a car right now, you, you've got a lot of that going on, uh, both on the new car side and the pre-owned side, uh, either way. But inventory levels on the pre-owned side are still really, really good. We have a 40-plus day supply of cars sitting at Echo Park. Uh, we're growing like wildfire. We've got, uh, we'll cover 25% of the country with our brand by the end of this year. We'll cover 90% of the country with our brand by the end of 25. We've never had a problem putting inventory on the ground pre-owned-wise. Um, they're a little more expensive today than they were last year at this time or even in the first quarter. Uh, but again, like I said earlier, that's going to alleviate as we move towards the end of the year. Uh, certainly on the new car side, um, you're seeing that. The day supplies are really, really tight. Uh, but the, the chip issue is going to alleviate here uh, in the coming months. It's going to get better as we move towards the end of the year and certainly a whole lot better as we move into 22. Jeff, before we let you go, it, it, we've often talked about how you know auto manufacturers love selling SUVs. They're higher margin vehicles. Any sense right now about what the best selling used car vehicles are right now? 
It's, it, I answered some questions yesterday on this. It's it, all the models are selling incredibly well. Toyota Camrys, uh, Honda Accords, uh, certainly the SUVs across the board. Pickup trucks, Ford F one fifties are doing really well, but in tight tight supply. Uh, but it's amazing uh, how well a, a lot of the models are doing uh, versus traditionally where you've got a little tighter set. Sure, uh, we're we're selling cars just because the supplies are lower. All right, Jeff Dyke at Sonic Automotive. Thank you very much, and good luck with those inventory issues. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Well, let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest Good Friday Morning. Philip. Good Friday morning to you, Dom. The first group of 200 Afghans who helped American troops during the war in Afghanistan arrived in the U.S. early this morning. Many are translators and their families. Around 2,500 will receive temporary housing at Fort Lee, Virginia. And just moments ago, President Biden released a statement thanking them for standing with the United States. First Lady Dr. Jill Biden underwent a medical procedure at Walter Reed Thursday night. According to her spokesman, medical staff flushed out debris from a puncture wound after the First Lady stepped on an object on the beach while visiting Hawaii. The president was with her during the procedure. And elation in St. Paul. The family of Olympic gymnast Suni Lee erupting in cheers after she took home the gold for Team USA in the women's individual all-around event. Her high-flying routine was the most difficult in the competition, and Lee delivered on every corner of the mat. So, Dom, once Simone Biles dropped out, a door was opened, and Suni Lee, she stepped up, and she clinched that gold. That's awesome. Talk about an unbelievable run for the U.S. women's gymnastics team. The all-around gold goes to them for, I think this is now five straight Olympics where the U.S. team has won an overall gold there. Yeah, Unbelievable truly story. Truly dominant. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you very much, Philip Mena. We'll see you later on. Ahead on the show, investors are punishing Amazon despite a third straight $100 billion plus quarter in revenues. Loop Ventures' Gene Munster is here to dig into those numbers when Worldwide Exchange returns after this. Nothing prime here. Amazon's bread and butter retail business drops the ball and investors drop the stock. Those results not doing anything to help out the overall market ahead of the opening bell. Futures now down triple digits ahead of the final trading day of the month. And laying out the bull case for big oil ahead of this morning's quarterly results. It is Friday, July 30th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan on this Friday morning. Here's how stock futures are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. You can see there we are indicated lower by roughly 100 points on the Dow. The S&P is implied lower by roughly 29 to 30 points and the Nasdaq taking a huge hit implied lower by 170 points at the opening bell. If these futures moves hold into regular cash equities trading. Now, Amazon weakness has a lot to do with that story. More on that coming up. Take a look right now at this week in sectors. If you take a look at what's been leading the market higher so far, it has been energy and material stocks, two economically sensitive sectors. Meanwhile, an economically sensitive sector of its own, technology, has been the worst performing sector so far in the S&P 500. Also take a look at two key parts of the market that many traders and investors look towards for possible cues on future direction of the overall market. The Semiconductor Index, ETF, 
the ticker SMH is now just hovering near some record high levels of its own. However, the orange line there, which is the transportation ETF, the ticker IYT, continues to trend lower. It's a dynamic that some traders are paying very close attention to to see whether or not there is a near-term top coming for the overall market. Now to some of this morning's top corporate stories. Bertha Coombs is back with those. Bertha. Hey, good morning, Dom. Uber is postponing its return to office plans until at least the end of October now. And starting Monday, the company says all workers who do come into the office must be vaccinated. And Kathy Wood making a bet on Robinhood. Her flagship ARK Innovation ETF bought almost 1.3 million shares of the company yesterday based on the closing price. That gives ARK a more than $45 million stake. And Microsoft is reportedly in talks to take a stake in Indian business hotel startup Oyo at a $9 billion valuation. Softback SoftBank already owns a 46% stake. Airbnb has also been a backer there. Uh, that company expected to go public at some point. Talk about, divers- talk about diversification, Bertha. Thank you very much for that. To this morning's yeah. top stock story, shares of Amazon under heavy selling pressure after reporting its first revenue miss in three years for its second quarter. The company also projecting weaker than expected results for the current quarter, This despite posting its third straight $100 billion plus quarter in terms of overall sales, advertising, cloud, still firing on all cylinders. Joining me now on the CNBC Newsline is Loop Ventures founder Gene Munster. Gene, I mean, I know why the disappointment is there, but is the disappointment justified and warranted? I got to make a difference uh, between the stock and the business. And from the business perspective, it's not warranted. This company has become even more the fabric of our lives. Grew retail at 13% off of an incredibly difficult comp. Everything is firing on all cylinders. I think that there's a question about if their margins can be better, but uh, for a, uh, for a different minute there. But I think from a stock perspective, there's, this is essentially begging a question that has been around Amazon for a long time, is what is its true growth rate? And what we're seeing here, of course, this is the A topic for most tech companies. But the true growth rate is probably going to moderate to 15% for next year. If you look at the midpoint of their guidance, which their guidance was correct this last quarter, analysts went ahead of it. It implies 18% from more recently, 45. So we're going from 45 to 18 to 15 next year. And that is a question. And what that means, Dominic, in in my mind, when you see that, is investors take a step back and do a re-rating of the multiple. And you're seeing some of that today. So, I mean, we've spoken at length in the past with you and others covering Amazon about this notion of where you emphasize kind of like the news coming from this company. It used to be years ago and maybe even so to a certain extent today that it's about about the online platform, the retail platform and everything else. And yes, that came in disappointing. Is there a tilt in your mind about where the news flow is? Is it very much more about Amazon Web Services and cloud computing now than the online platform and for, for, for marketplace items itself? I think, yes, the simple answer is, is that still retail is the dominant part of their business. AWS is just over 10% of their business. Their advertising business, which grew at 87%, is call it uh, just about 5%. 
So collectively, those two meet this kind of uh, 15% threshold for investors. So yes, those are going to become a bigger part, but you still need to recognize that this is predominantly a retail business. It's not a mixed message. Retail still matters. These other things are getting attention, but retail matters. It's kind of like Apple with the iPhone is that they can have services do great, but unless the iPhone's doing great, investors aren't satisfied. And so uh, then the, we kind of circle back to a, a secondary topic, too, which comes in and out of favor, which is the question of profitability. I want to quickly highlight that is that Amazon is a tech company, there's no doubt, but the, the margins that they have are not tech-like. This is uh, margins, operating margins of 6 to 8%. Google, Apple at 30%, Facebook at 42%. And I think that the question, uh, the stock, uh, the next move higher in the stock, I think needs to come around margins. Now, they're not going high anytime soon. CFO said on their call that they're continuing to be in investment mode. But if I was in Jassy's role, I would uh, really focus, make the A topic around automation. They have 1.2 million employees. They added 65,000 in the most recent quarter. They have a huge opportunity to take uh, automation, robotics, to reduce costs. Human costs were the biggest X factor in their operating expense this quarter because of the tight labor market. They have an opportunity to move their margins. Uh, much higher in the years to come. I think that's going to be the new A topic on Amazon in, in the future. So, so, I mean, with that as the A topic, then you have to look at the competitive landscape, right, for, for, for this particular company, because on that online retail side of things, you've had, I mean, they, they're, the, they're the top of the, the heap, right? Everybody's gunning for their market share, and, and many other companies have kind of made incremental gains since the COVID pandemic started. Amazon has come out a winner, no doubt. But then that margin story has to be driven by where it has real competitive advantages, right? It has to come from, say, web services or maybe even online advertising if it can make inroads against companies like Facebook and Alphabet. Well, uh, those are uh, areas that they need to make inroads against Facebook, like you said. I see their competitive advantage as uh, really around infrastructure. I remember uh, covering Amazon 12 years ago, and they're uh, making investments in infrastructure, and investors wondered why a tech company would be doing that. It turns out that has become the infrastructure. Uh, actually, the, the fulfillment centers, the trucks, uh, the ability to get your uh, packages to you quickly, that becomes the, 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 the competitive advantage. And I would put it in this context. If, if someone would give you and I uh, $100 billion and say, go start a great e-commerce company, I think the best thing for us to do would be to return the capital back to the investors because to compete with Amazon is on their infrastructure side is incredibly difficult. And that, to me, is the opportunity, is to take this the advantage that they have around infrastructure that does not have a cost advantage today, but to add efficiencies and automation into it to improve margins. I almost see more Amazon trucks around my neighborhood than I do FedEx or UPS trucks these days. Gene Munster, <laughs> thank you very much. Always great to get your thoughts. Have a nice weekend, Gene. Thank you. All right. Well, coming up on the show, energy has been the year's top performing sector, up nearly 33 percent. But the group is not without its problems. We will talk to one of the street's top analysts on big oil ahead of reports from Exxon and Chevron this morning. But first, as we head out to break, some of your other top stories. Texas Governor Greg Abbott is threatening to find local officials and businesses that enforce mask mandates and vaccine requirements. He says the path forward, quote, relies on personal responsibility rather than government mandates. Grooming startup Manscaped is reportedly in talks to go public through, guess what, a SPAC deal with Bright Lights acquisition. 
The company, the combination entity is said to hold a value of about $1.4 billion for that Manscaped ecosystem. And Tesla agreeing to pay $1.5 million to settle a class action lawsuit over Model S battery throttling. The proposed settlement would pay owners about $625 apiece. Stay tuned. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Chevron and ExxonMobil are reporting second quarter results before the opening bell this morning. There's good news here. They're expected to post blowout earnings largely because of higher oil and gas prices. But it may not be smooth sailing for big oil these days. Investors will not only be looking at the usual top and bottom line numbers, but also three major themes for the sector. We're talking dividend payouts, the transition to clean energy and climate risk. Let's get more insight now with Phil Gresh, integrated oil and refining analyst over at J.P. Morgan. Phil, I mean, there are so many things that oil companies these days have to navigate. Just how complicated a picture will it be for the likes of the CEOs of ExxonMobil and Chevron as they push forward into the coming years? Well, it's a great question. Thanks for having me, Dom. You know, I actually think the setup for the earnings is reasonably constructive here. I mean, you got to think about where we're coming from. Oil's back to $75 right now. Um, the valuations on these stocks are favorable. And um, you, know, you saw good results from Shell and Total yesterday, returning capital back to shareholders uh, as part of their announcements. We think some of that could come today as well from Chevron. So I think there are some positives to be thinking about here. So, so aside from the oil and gas price surge, I mean, we know at, at you know, last year during you know, the spring, early summer, we saw negative oil prices at one point. It's perhaps an easy comp, right, these days against what happened last year. I guess my issue is with these oil companies now, is it that we have, do we only look at them on oil and gasoline prices or, or what else has to go into the valuation model for what you say Exxon is worth these days or, or, or what Chevron is worth these days? That's a great question. I mean, so if you, if you look at it right now, at 70 to $75 oil, these stocks are trading at 10% free cash flow yields. Their balance sheets, somewhat surprisingly, are already getting fixed um, with free cash flow generation and debt paydowns. They're less of one-time leverage here. Um, As you note, there are other dynamics at play with energy transition and ESG. So it seems like investors do not want to give these stocks full credit for what's happening with spot prices. Um, Also, futures prices are closer to 60, right? The curve is in steep backwardation. So usually the valuations are not going to be in line with the spot price People are looking out three to five years, as you would know. So if we look at, say, the, the U.S. oil majors, there's, there's two of them, really, right? There's ExxonMobil and there's Chevron versus the European integrated oil majors that you just mentioned here. Is there a sense right now of which is the better value trade, which is the better kind of option? Do you stick with the U.S. domestic producers or do you go for people like a BP or a Royal Dutch or a Total uh, or, or, or others like that? Right. So... Um, so I cover U.S. majors. We also have a counterpart in Europe that covers the European majors. Uh, we do a lot of work together. And, and, you know, I think I would acknowledge that the European majors are cheaper than the U.S. majors. Uh, they have underperformed year to date and they're starting to show signs of returning capital shareholders, which is constructive. I think that's why Shell was up yesterday, had a good day. Um, you know, I think there's room for both. I mean, if you look at Exxon and Chevron, they're not expensive versus their own history. And the European majors have always been cheaper than U.S. majors. Some of that's just the relative market differentials. But, um, you know, we are constructive on, on Chevron and Exxon into the prints as well. 
Now, Phil, the, the dividend story has been key throughout the decades, the last few decades here for oil and gas companies here. Is the dividend story and the growth story intact for both Exxon and Chevron? I, I, I know that they're both considered dividend aristocrats. They've grown their earnings annually for 20 plus years at this point. Can U.S. investors continue to count on increasing dividend payments from both of these companies? Right. So, um, you know, Chevron's continued to increase its dividend. Exxon went on a little bit of a pause last year. I think there was some concern last year when oil was uh, at its lows that Exxon would have to cut its dividend. I think that's in the rear view at this point. The company has gotten much more disciplined on their capital spending. We don't see CapEx going back up anywhere near to the point that would risk uh, dividend cuts. So uh, I think dividend stability is uh, is key and, and it's going to happen. Um, and for Chevron, I I think today you might actually see a share buyback announcement. Their balance sheet's in a little bit better shape than Exxon's is. Exxon needs to focus on some debt pay down here for the next one to two years before they really think about um, doing share buybacks. But I do think the dividends are safe for these companies at this point, especially at $75 oil. They can cover their dividends around 50, maybe even a little bit less. And just before we let you go, Phil, how quickly, how many years do you think it'll be before these U.S. majors catch up to their European counterparts in terms of their kind of ESG push, this, this clean energy push? It's, it's a great question. I mean, if you just rewind one year and, and look at the analyst days that they had this past March, it's night and day in terms of the way Exxon and Chevron are talking about energy transition. Actually, just yesterday, Chevron announced an appointment of um, a business head for energy transition, which they've never had in the past. So I think we're starting to see the tone change very significantly and rapidly. Um, I do not see the U.S. majors necessarily getting into solar and wind and things that some of the European majors are doing. I think you're going to see the U.S. companies aggressively start talking about biofuels, carbon capture, hydrogen. Some of these things, they need more policy support. They need more uh, you know, better economics but they're all working on these things in pilot mode, and I think it's going to ramp up substantially in the next three to five years. All right. Great to get your thoughts, Phil. Uh, thank you very much for that. We appreciate it. Phil Gresh at J.P. Morgan. And, and by thank the you. way, don't miss Brian Sullivan's exclusive interview with Chevron CEO Mike Worth later on today on The Exchange, 1 p.m. Eastern time, a must-watch interview, a CNBC exclusive. Coming up on the show, the bulls charging towards August with stocks near all-time highs. We'll talk about the biggest drivers and some of the most worrisome risks coming up next. And if you have not already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange, audio format. We'll be right back. Today's big number, $30.8 billion. That's how much was raised by VC-backed fintech companies in the second quarter of 2021, according to CB Insights. Q2 was the largest funding quarter on record with 657 deals, with growth led by South America-based startups. Welcome back. We've reached the last trading day of July. The S&P is on pace for its sixth positive month in a row, which would be its best streak in nearly three years. The Russell, though, about to snap a nine-month winning streak. Futures this morning pointing to more losses at the opening bell here. Joining us now is Daryl Cronk, CIO of Wealth and Investment Management at Wells Fargo. Daryl, this is a market where a lot of folks out there feel as though it's been record high after record high after record high. Do you feel like you still want to be long this market? Yeah, absolutely. I think you have to, Dom. So good morning. Um, 
with interest rates where they are, real yields where they are, and profits and earnings where they are, you have to be long equities. The question is, you know, what areas we still think, even though they've been out of favor the last 30, 60 days, we still think there's a second half of the year trade on the cyclical side. So think energy, industrials, materials, financials, that's been a little bit out of favor at the expense of technology. They've, they've got shorter duration, good cash flow, good return uh, back to shareholders of buybacks, dividends, which actually helps kind of protect higher multiples in a higher inflationary environment. So we think there's a good opportunity in the second half of the year. So, so Daryl, I mean, you, you mentioned some of those economically sensitive or cyclical sectors there. But, but I, some would argue out there that, that since the pandemic lows last year, it has been energy and materials and industrial stocks that have done severe outperformance in many cases over some of those technology and communication services counterparts there. Isn't that trade already over? Hasn't it already run its course, perhaps? Hasn't it already been used up a little bit? I think that's the narrative on the street. And I, you know, I agree, Dom, that I, a lot of people are challenging that. A lot of people want to swing back to the winner of the last economic cycle and um, the last basically decade, which was technology. And it's not that you should be away from technology. What we want people to do is be away from defensives. So be away from staples, be away from utilities. Those areas we think are going to continue to underperform. We do think the cyclicals still play nicely. It's interesting because if you look at the latest earnings report of Q2 earnings season, cyclicals are just pounding traditional growth on um, earnings growth uh, quarter over quarter, year over year. We think that still plays out in cheap valuations. Your prior guest just talked about you know, energy has not been rewarded for a decade. Industrials have really not been rewarded for a decade. So there's good value there versus some of the higher multiples you pay on some of those other high sec- uh, higher uh, other sectors you mentioned a minute ago. It wasn't that long ago, though, right, that we were talking about this notion that the technology or the growth trade on Wall Street was being taken down by rising interest rates. It was just about you know six, nine months ago that that was the narrative in the, in the marketplace right now. We have yields coming back. The 10-year Treasury note is at 1.24% or thereabouts right now. Isn't that now supportive? of that growth trade again in terms of maybe technology, cloud computing, semiconductors, that sort of thing? It is, and you're exactly right. And that is the narrative for the second half of the year, meaning if you believe that interest rates are going to go higher and the yield curve resumes a steepening effect in the second half of the year, which we actually think will happen, then you want to be long the cyclicals as we just got done talking about. If you believe, on the other hand, that interest rates are going lower from the 124 10-year treasury, and the yield curve is going to continue to flatten, which we don't think is the likely scenario here, then absolutely. Growth is the place to be. Technology is the place to be. Discretionary is the place to be. Communication services is the place to be. Kind of the trade of the last decade. We actually think you still get some steepening in the yield curve in the second half. We still think rates go higher. You know, We're we're up 75 basis points from where we were a year ago on the 10-year but still down only 50 basis points from where we were at the April highs. All right. Uh, Complicated dynamic for sure. Daryl Kronk at Wells Fargo, thank you very much. Have a nice weekend, sir. You too. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next. Have a nice weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends. 
Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.